and welcome to the Paranormal Sun, coming to you live from Tower Studios. I'm JT, and as always, I'll be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained. Well, everyone, I hope you're doing well all over the world, all over the globe, whatever you're doing. I do hope that you're having a good spring or autumn, depending on which uh, <laughs> which hemisphere you're in. It's been getting pretty warm down here, but uh, a little bit more manageable from the... Uh, from the allergy hay fever type front. It's not perfect, but it's, it's better than it was a couple weeks ago for sure. So we're all right down here. We've got a very confusing government. Um, now they've changed the COVID rules type thing to a traffic light system to try and make it less confusing, which has only made it more confusing. I don't know what it is exactly today because I've I've just given up following the news, really, like I say. But for quite a while there, you could go out in groups. You could go and meet someone at the mall, uh, up to 50 people, but yet you couldn't go over to someone's house and go inside. So I couldn't go and visit a friend, uh, even two people, and go inside their house if I needed to use the restroom or have a cup of coffee. I mean, if if you're not breaking the rules. But I could turn up and meet them outside, out on their on the on the sidewalk or the footpath in front of their house. Um, yeah, it really. <laughs> and, and again, I don't blame this one hundred percent on the sitting government. I do understand it's confusing for a lot of governments, no matter where they are, and for health professionals and the whole lot. A lot of the quote unquote experts don't even really agree on what to do or how to do it or what's causing what. So uh, I do understand that there is a bit of confusion, but yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, uh, let's just say I'm not wasting a whole lot of mental bandwidth anymore on these sort of things. Um, the sad bit is, folks, uh, again, I don't know. I know it's really divisive. It depends on what you believe, how you believe it, what you think about it. But I think that much like 9-11, at least in the medium term, and when I say medium term, I mean, up to about five years, I don't see us ever going back to quote-unquote normal, i.e. the way things were before this pandemic, because there'll continue to be different mutations, or there'll be some new uh, airborne uh, entity, and uh, I just don't see putting the genie back in the bottle. I just don't. Not in the, not in the short to medium term, anyway. But we will see. We live in hope, as always, and uh, we just hope that things do get better. Aside from that, like I say, I'm doing pretty good, folks. Um, having a bit of a rare drink in the studio today. I, I don't really drink a whole lot anymore, and I especially don't drink during the day. Uh, not much anyway, but um, I had to order some uh, liquor or spirits, depending on, again, where you are being what you call it. I, I needed some brandy or cognac for the uh, fruitcake to flavor up some for Christmas. So while I was at it, I treated myself because <laughs> I, I don't really get to treat myself to a lot of things anymore, folks. I treated myself to a bottle of my favorite bourbon. So I'm just having a nice double bourbon and Coke right now. Ah, that's nice. So it's a good day here. That's what I'm saying here in studio. It's a good day. Now, let's see. There was a couple of things that I did want to mention really quickly. I told you on the next episode, I'd have a bit of an outline about kind of upcoming episodes. Uh, so basically, this is obviously another News of the Damned uh, episode, but again, only about three, four, five days after the last one. So you can see I am trying to ramp up production some, my friends, trying to get some more stuff out there for you. Uh, I've got some interviews again. I know I say this over and over and over again, but I've got some interviews to edit. And I am, I have just started cracking the seal on a couple of those. And we are planning, again, touch wood, because we've got to get everyone aligned, but we are planning another New Year's prediction episode this year. So if you want your predictions read on air, if there's predictions you would like me to get on air or something specific you'd like to discuss, i.e. what do you see happening in 2022 regarding this or that, Email me, TPS, so the letters TPS, predictions at gmail.com. It's that simple. Send me through your predictions for 2022 if you would like me to review them. 
uh, on the show. I'll read your prediction again. The only really rules we've got is uh, no, no, no assassinations. Uh, that is probably the major one because I know it sounds ridiculous, but in the past there have been other people who have done prediction shows that have had visits from three-letter agencies because of people making basically saying politician X, Y, or Z would be assassinated in the new year. So if I get one of those, I'm just going to kindly refuse to read that on the air. If you want to be anonymous, say you want to be anonymous. At some point uh, ahead of, it may be even after New Year's, just going to have to see how the time stacks out. But I'll be doing a review show of last year's predictions, including the ones that me, Dave, and Timmy made on the 2021 prediction show to see how close we got with any of them. And to tell you the truth, folks, I remember kind of vaguely a few of them. But this year has gone so fast, it's it's like, I, I don't even really remember all of the predictions that I made or that the listeners made. So it'll definitely be interesting to go back and review. So anyway, I'll kind of do it live, like I'll bring up the prediction and then I'll Google it as we go. Basically, uh, I don't know, I can't remember what it was, but let's say uh, there'll be a major earthquake in Ecuador, right? So if somebody does something like that, then I'll do a quick Google to see if anything comes up so you have a little bit of a live um a little bit of a live uh, analysis of those picks versus me going through and checking on them and then just reading it uh so yeah we'll we'll definitely get that squeezed in sometime if it's not before new year's it'll be in early january so aside from that like i say that is our plan I've also got, like I say, again, the Betty and Barney Hill thing. I'd love to get to it, but again, it's just a matter of trying to wedge it all into the month of December, and if not, we'll get it into it in January. I mean, this year, especially the last few months, has just gone like a rocket. I mean, I, I know a lot of people would think, oh, well, with lockdowns and everything else and COVID and on and on and on, it would have gone slow, but... um Many, many moons ago when I was a teenager, I had a very close family friend. It was a friend of mine's grandfather, and he treated me like family. And I remember being a teenager, being 13, 14, 15. His name was Donnie, and I remember Donnie telling me, the older you get, the faster it goes. And being a teenager, you know, you think, yeah, right, whatever, because life just seemed to drag back then. But I'll tell you what, truer words were never spoken. Every year I age, it's just like the year just goes faster and faster. It's kind of one of those exponential things where they give you that uh, kind of problem-solving thing, and it's like if this, you know, like if the bacteria doubles every hour or 12 hours, how long before the world's overrun by bacteria? And it just does seem like each year the time goes exponentially faster. So that's our plans for New Year's. Christmas? Christmas at this point, folks? I don't have anything in particular pegged out. Um... I am, we, who knows, we, we might just do some Christmas stories or something. Maybe I'll find some Dickens or something and we'll read it. I know it's not really, well, Dickens did do some paranormal stuff. I know it's not really super paranormal, but I would like to do something a bit Christmas themed this year. I didn't do it last year. And I'm going to be honest, folks, I don't have a week or two to sit here and research and try and bring you a big Christmas show. If I do, then New Year's and everything else is just not going to happen. So I'd rather have that New Year's show and just kind of bump our way through Christmas than vice versa. I think that New Year's, uh, in the realm that we enjoy, I think that New Year's is much more of an important holiday. So, folks, with all that being said, like I say, if you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is always to tell someone you know. Just say, hey, there's this guy that's got a bunch of crazy ideas, and he's always going off about... Uh, the Seahawks and um, the Wheel of Time and all these other weird things. And uh, his name's JT, and he's got a program called The Paranormal Sun. Go and check him out. So that's the first way and probably the best way you can really support the show. Secondly, you can go and like and subscribe on any of the social media. Like I say, if you go in the link in the show notes of any episode, or if you just go to Instagram and go in the bio and click on the link, they all take you to like a landing page type site that will take you anywhere you want to go. You can go to www.theparanormalsun.com as well, 
Uh, I mean, you can listen to the show there. I know quite a few people who listen to the episodes directly off of that website. But, I mean, aside from that, yes, you can shop TPS merch and that. Uh, but you'll get most of the things on social media that you get there as well, just to be honest. And those of you that know me, you know that I am most obviously uh, active on Facebook and Instagram. Twitter, I don't spend a lot of time on. and Things like TikTok and that, it's just, yeah, I, I can't be everywhere at once. So I'm on there, but don't be surprised if you ever sent me a message, if it took a while for me to get back to you. And again, you can just email us at the paranormal sun, so the underscore paranormal underscore sun at gmail.com. Uh, people like, uh, or no, sorry, just, <laughs> I'm thinking of the Instagram account. So the Instagram account is the underscore paranormal underscore sun. But the email is the un, the 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 paranormal sun all one word at gmail dot com, and Trey and a lot of other listeners when they want to send me news articles and that they send it through there, and that is the most conducive to what I do, folks, because then I can sit down at the laptop and I can pull those links out and bring up the web pages and that, and because I, obviously I don't use the phone to run the show off of, if that makes sense. So when you send me links in Instagram and that, I basically have to go in there myself and put it either either put it into a link and email it to myself or I take a photo of it so I know what article I'm kind of Googling. That's why once in a while people will send me things in social media and I read a similar article but on the same topic just because that's what Google brings up at the time. So folks, with all that having been said... It's now time to get into the news of the damned for this episode. So for those of you who don't know, there was a gentleman in the early 1900s named Charles Fort. Now, Charles Fort was interested in the things that we're interested here on the Paranormal Sun and just the unexplained in general. So Charles Fort was interested in things like UFOs, lights in the sky, cryptids, sea monsters, disappearing people out-of-place artifacts, and the like. Now, Charles Fort gathered 30, 40, 50,000 index cards worth of information from newspapers and periodicals at the time in the early 1900s, and then he gathered these together and collated them into a series of books. Now, I say, and I've been saying pretty much the whole time I've been doing the show, that he wrote four or five books. Okay, now, I just looked it up, and I know why I was confused. He wrote five books, but one was a novel. So he wrote four books on the subject of what we would call today, a lot of people call Fortean or Fortiana, all of these things we were just talking about. And he had his commentary in the book, so he would have an interesting case, and he would say, hey, maybe it was this or this or this. What do you think? Very ahead of his time as far as I'm concerned. Well, Charles Fort referred to any information or any data that was ignored or excluded by science basically something that science wanted to ignore or didn't want to touch. He referred to this as damned data. Therefore, this news segment is always known as the news, the news of the damned. Right, so I've got three here from Trey. So Trey in Portland, our president in Portland, Oregon, chapter president. Thanks, Trey, for sending these through. And the first one here is from Live Science. And this one is from, says it's from 16 days ago, so kind of mid-November. And it's from Mindy Weis Weisberger. And it says, Scorpions flood Egyptian villages after storm, sting and hospitalize hundreds. And Trey asked me if I'd heard of this one, kind of similar to the crabs on Christmas Island in Australia and also some parts of Indonesia where they have these crab migrations. And no, I hadn't heard about this one. So thanks, Trey, for sending it through. And it says, deadly scorpions stung more than 500 people in southern Egypt. That's quite a rash of scorpion attacks. Scorpions that were flushed from their underground desert homes by recent storms have stung more than 500 people in the governorate of Aswan in southern Egypt. Now, if Aswan sounds familiar, that's because back, 
I think even before I was born, they had the Aswan High Dam they built in Egypt. And that's where they had to move those massive stone carvings of Ramesses and some other carvings. They had to carve them out of the rock and then move them several hundred feet higher so they could flood this area with the dam. And a lot of people, when you see pictures of Egypt, that's one of the photos is of these massive statues of Pharaoh Ramses. I'm sure that's who it was anyway. So anyway, it says several days of hail, rainfall, and flooding in the region displaced scorpions from their burrows and swept them into close contact with people, according to the Egypt-based news organization Mada. The storms are... The storms also destroyed buildings, washed out roads, uprooted trees, and cut off electricity in parts of Aswan, according to Mata. Hundreds of those who were stung required hospitalization, and three of those people died on November the 13th. However, Aswan Governor Major General uh, Ashraf Atiyah, so it's two T's, Atiyah, I'm sure that's how it is, and the acting health minister denied that those deaths were caused by scorpion stings, Mata reported. People who were stung by scorpions said their symptoms included severe pain, fever, sweating, vomiting, diarrhea, muscle tremors, and head twitching, Al Jazeera reported. The governorate of Aswan distributed more than 3,000 doses of anti-venom serum to treat injured people in local hospitals and clinics and to prepare for future incidents, Health Minister Spokesperson Khalid uh, Megahed said in a statement posted on Facebook on November the 13th. An estimated 31 species of scorpions live in Egypt. Scientists reported in 2017 in the Al-Azhar Bulletin of Science. These include fat-tailed scorpions in the genus Adroctinus, thought to be some of the deadliest scorpions on Earth, and so-called deathstalker scorpions, which are commonly spotted in Aswan and sting dozens of people there each year, according to the New York Times. Approximately 5,000 people worldwide die annually after being stung by a scorpion, according to a 2009 report in the journal Clinical Neurotoxicity. While the idea of a scorpion flood may sound like a biblical plague, the extreme weather events in Aswan that unleash the scorpions have a modern explanation. Climate change. Everything's caused by climate change, don't you know? Mahmoud Shaheen, director of the Center for Weather Analysis and Forecasts at the Egyptian Meteorological Authority, told the Egyptian news portal Mas- Masrawi, so yeah, no, I had not heard of a <laughs> plague of scorpions in modern times anyway, that is. So a uh, very interesting one. Thanks for that. Um, thanks for that, Trey. Appreciate that. So that's the first one from Trey. The second one we got here is from unexplainedmysteries.com. And I hadn't heard about this one either, Trey. And this says, Investigator claims to have evidence of Canuck Chase Bigfoot. And this is from November the 19th. Stories of Bigfoot-like creatures in and around Canuck Chase have been have sorry have endured for centuries. Situated in rural Staffordshire, England, Canuck Chase has gained something of a reputation for being home to all manner of weird and wonderful things, with visitors reporting everything from UFOs and paranormal phenomena to sightings of ch- strange creatures wandering through the trees. Among them, tales of a Bigfoot-like beast that date back as far as the 19th century. One local investigator, Lee Brickley, has made it his mission to get to the bottom of the mystery, and he now believes he has found conclusive evidence of a large bipedal creature in the area. Loads of people now message me regularly, asking for updates, he told the Daily Star. I got an anonymous email from a man saying he had been flying a remote control plane over Shaw Common at Canuck Chase, who said he'd seen something unusual. With his description of the location, I went out there straight away and found the footprint. I was astounded. I'd never seen a footprint that large in my life, and it was clearly not made using a mold or a cast. I realized the Canuck Chase Bigfoot was more than just a myth. During his investigations, Brickley has also found what he described as claw marks on a tree near to a dead deer that he says had been killed by some sort of carnivorous animal. He has even seen what he thinks was the creature itself on at least one occasion. It definitely moved more like an animal than a man and it was easily seven feet tall, he said. I tried to run after it, but it was too quick and disappeared into a dense section of trees. As things stand, however, no definitive proof of such creature has ever been found. So Trey was saying it had a very misleading title, and as it, investigator claims to have evidence of Canuck Chase Bigfoot. 
So he's basically saying he saw a footprint and another guy saw the creature. So, yeah. Um, I guess it's not misleading as far as it says he claims to have evidence, but <laughs> I, I'd say he doesn't have a cast of the footprint or he would have mentioned that. But anyway, um, interesting enough. And for most people in the U.S., you might think that Bigfoot is predominantly a U.S. thing. And it is. And the reason is most places around the world don't call it Bigfoot. So in the U.K., for example, they for centuries called it the wild man or the hairy man. And in I know for a fact that in some old English literature, there's stories of these wild men that live out in the country, basically. So similar to like the Alma and things like that in the Caucasus and in Russia, they're more considered a wild type of man than a different species. So interesting nonetheless. Thanks, Trey. And the last one Trey sent me here has got a video in it, so you'll want to make sure you go and check it out in the show notes. So as always, you can just go in any of the show notes of the episode, and there's a link to each one of these stories so you can go and check out any videos or articles. And this one says, this is also from unexplainedmysteries.com, and this one says, Triangular UFO caught on doorbell camera in England. And I've actually watched this, and I'll give you my feedback after I read the story. 43-year-old Matt Dowdy from Herefordshire couldn't believe his eyes when he watched the footage back. Dowdy, along with his friend Kevin, had been sitting at home watching the football, so for those of you in America, that'd be soccer, on TV, when he received an alert on his phone from his doorbell camera to tell him that someone was outside. And I didn't even know that was a thing, that your camera, your doorbell camera could tell you someone was there. I know with home surveillance footage, there'll be, like, warnings sometimes you'll get, but I didn't realize that. When he played back the footage, he expected to see a person standing on his doorstep but was surprised to discover that the camera had instead been triggered by something in the sky. The object, which consisted of three bright lights in triangular formation, could be seen slowly moving across the houses from right to left in the screen, in the frame. I looked at the footage and played it back, he said. When it comes through, where it comes through the trees, it's come over the house opposite me, then the, fo uh, then the footage captures it coming from right to left. It disappears over the top of a woodland to the left of my house. It was a bit of a chilling feeling, really. I thought, oh my god, that's quite close. I wondered if I'd discovered something nobody knows about. When I showed Kevin, he just said, geez, that looks like a UFO. Now, I watched the video, and I realized that these doorbell cameras are not going to be the most high-quality footage, right? But one of the things I found interesting is when you watch the video on YouTube, the area where these three lights are seems to be like a separate pixel as it's playing. You know how things get pixelated? And I found it interesting. Uh, now, look, folks, I've said this before on the show. I am the furthest thing from a video expert or a footage expert. I don't know what can and can't be done. I did have a gentleman who I was kind of working a little bit with on and off before that was pretty good on these kind of things. But I hate to bother him every time I've got a video to say, hey, what do you think? Do you think this is legitimate or not? So anyway, in saying that, looking at it, I did find that interesting. And the other thing is I read through the comments in this paper in uh, Hertfordshire. Now, Trey pointed, you pointed out a good thing, which is, hey, uh, this area has got over a million people in it. You would think someone else would have seen it. Because this doorbell footage is soundless, there's no audio, we've got no idea if there's sounds. Now, people in the comments pointed out there are, there's at least one, maybe multiple military bases in the area, and they think that these are helicopters because they say if you look at the lights, they don't keep the exact distance between each other. They tend to move a little bit, which is something helicopters and planes do when they're flying in, in formation. I mean, they'll still keep that roughly triangular shape or whatever, but they'll kind of move back and, you know, as they kind of speed, uh, one gets ahead a little bit more or less. So they try and keep it close, but it's by no means is it like a mathematical formula that they all say stay straight. Another one of the comments was that maybe these were police drones. Now, I would say if you had sound, again, depending on the way the wind was blowing, but if you had sound, we'd probably have a better idea if these were helicopters. But the people in the area are tending to say, we think it's helicopters, uh, because if it wasn't, we think there'd be a lot more than one person reporting on this. So nonetheless, interesting. And again, thanks for that, Trey. And again, folks, if you want to check that out, when you go in the show notes, there's just a link 
under the news of the damned and it says triangular UFO caught on doorbell camera in England. Click on that and embedded straight in the article is the YouTube footage. So interesting little one, nonetheless. And again, thanks for that, Trey. I do appreciate you sending that through. Over to the articles that I've got here that I picked out. The first one is a thing that a lot of people are interested in and obviously a lot of people who listen to this program. This one comes from The Debrief. And this one says, Time travel may be possible inside the quantum realm. And this is from Christopher Plain. It says, Time travel may be possible after all, particularly in the quantum realm. And based on recently published research, this may include moving both backward and forward in time. Background, but isn't time travel impossible? In classical physics, the movement of time is more or less described as a movement from a more organized state to a less organized state. Physicists call this entropy. Such movement can be seen in everyday systems like the rotting of food or the growing of a tree, or the simple process of a meal cooking on the stove. Due to this seeming unidirectional aspect of the movement of time, often called time's arrow, most physicists agree that traveling backwards in time would violate a number of known processes and properties of, of physics, like making it all but likely making it all but impossible outside of science fiction. By comparison, moving forward in time is relatively straightforward. Simply speed up to as close to the speed of light as possible, thereby taking advantage of the relevant of the relativistic Sorry, folks. Some some of these pages, they get pop-ups and that, and they start jumping around on me, so sorry. Of the relativistic effects that will cause time on the outside world to travel significantly faster than it will for you. In short, if you travel close enough to the speed of light, you will age significantly slower than the world around you, meaning that for all intents and purposes, you will have traveled into the future. Now, based on new research published in the journal Communication Physics, Traveling to the past may be back on the proverbial time and travel table. According to a recent press release, a team of physicists from the universities of Bristol, Vienna, and the Balearic Islands and the Institute for Quantum Optics and Quantum Information has shown how quantum systems can be simultaneously can simultaneously evolve along two opposite time arrows, both forwards and backwards in time. This unique ability is governed by the quantum principle of superposition. Where a, single, where a single particle of matter can exist in two different states at the same time, according to the researchers behind the latest study. This unique state of matter also allows for the travel of time in both directions, forward and backwards. We can take the sequence of things we do in our morning routine as an example, said the study's lead author, Dr. Julia Rabino, from the University of Bristol's Quantum Engineering Technology Labs. If we were shown our toothpaste moving from the toothbrush back into the tube, we would be in no doubt we would be in no doubt that it was sorry folks, again it just my page is jumping around on me. It gets really annoying. We would be in no doubt it was a, a rewinded recording of our day. However, if we squeeze the tube gently so only a small part of the toothpaste came out, it would not be so unlikely to observe it re entering the tube sucked in by the tube's decompression. Extending this principle to time's arrow, added Rubino, it's, it results that quantum systems evolving in one or the other temporal direction, the toothpaste coming out or going back into the tube, can also find themselves evolving simultaneously along both temporal directions. Basically, if this quantum-sized hypothetical toothpaste can evolve along two different paths as allowed by superposition, then it is possible that one of those paths results in the toothpaste moving back into the tube. Ugh. Essentially going back in time to a previous, less entropic state, according to Rubino. It is precisely this process that his team's research shows. In our work, we qualified or quantified the entropy produced by a system, evolving in quantum superposition of processes with opposite time arrows, explained Rubino. We found this most often results in projecting the system onto a well-defined time direction, corresponding to the most likely process of the two. In short, this is always the good part for me, because then I understand it. In short, most of the time things move forward in time, just as researchers and classical physicists would predict. However, sometimes the opposite did happen. And yet, he added, when small amounts of entropy are involved, for instance, when there is so little toothpaste spilled 
that one could see it being reabsorbed into the tube, then one can physically observe the consequences of the system having evolved along the forward and backward temporal directions at the same time. In conclusion, based on the size and timing of the event, the quantum realm may possess its own equivalent of a five-second rule, allowing the movement back in time to a less entropic state in certain circumstances. But what does this mean in the macro world? Like many things that occur in the quantum realm, the findings of this latest research may be counterintuitive. However, the researchers behind the study say it is real. Actual principle operating inside the quantum world that may have real macro world macro world level impacts. Although the idea seems rather nonsensical when applied to our day-to-day -day experience, at its most fundamental level, the laws of the universe are based on quantum mechanic principles. The revelation also likely means that macro-level systems that are affected by processes in the quantum realm, like the ability of birds to sense the Earth's magnetic field using a quantum mechanical process, may be able to take advantage of these uniquely quantum effects. Apparently, this now includes time travel. Although time is often treated as a continuously increasing parameter, our study shows the laws governing its flow in quantum mechanical contexts are much more complex, says Rubino. This may suggest that we need to rethink the way we represent this quantity in all those contexts where quantum laws play a crucial role. Okay, someone called Doc Brown. Anyone seen the keys to my DeLorean? Okay. Me personally, far from having all the answers to the secrets of the universe, believe it or not, folks, um, sitting behind a microphone doesn't mean I've got all of the universe's secrets, unfortunately. But I tend to believe much more in the way that the Hindu philosophy does when it comes to time. I think rather than time being a straight line, I think time is more like a circle or a loop, which is basically things repeat themselves. Even in my life, I've seen trends and things come and go. And if you look at group after group, be they religious or be they philosophical or whatever, through the history of mankind, many groups believe that time is not a straight line and that it is a loop or a circle and it circles back on itself. And again, maybe it's because I just finished with the wheel of time, but for a long time I've had this feeling that things repeat. You know, as they say, those those that fail to listen to history's lessons are doomed to repeat them. I do tend to believe that history in general does loop. Now, do I know the time? Do I know if it's to get where we are right now in this world? Technologically, everything else, is that a million years? Is that a billion years loop? I've got no idea. All I know is that I do tend to believe much more that the universe is a continual evolution of death and rebirth so i think even when the end of the universe comes it, again it's just my personal opinion i think that it would make sense that that's not just it and there's just a black void everything's burned out or the universe collapses even if the universe collapses on itself maybe then there's another big bang and it repeats itself and who knows how many times by this point in time and what we measure as time who knows how many times this is repeated, but I personally find that much more plausible than just a straight line and cavemen, um, you know, Bronze Age, Iron Age, Middle Ages, so on up until now, and then that's it, and there'll never be another instance of those times again. I believe much more in the circular effect of things, but that's just my thoughts on time and time travel. I think if we go around the dial long enough we'll come back maybe not to these people maybe not to groups known as the, the romans for example and the macedonians and so forth but i think that the overall state of the universe and humanity will be much similar if we went all the way around the dial and came back right so the next one here is from coast to coast and it says hundreds of dead birds mysteriously fall from the sky outside Spanish hospital. Now, for those of you that don't know, this is something that happens fairly frequently around the world, and you get these stories about birds just dropping dead out of the sky. But 
it goes well with Trey's Scorpion story and an interesting one. And this just came out in the last few days. It says the grounds of a hospital in Spain resembled something out of a horror film when hundreds of dead birds mysteriously rained down from the sky. The bizarre incident reportedly occurred at the Juan Car Cardona Hospital in the city of Ferrol last Friday. For reasons yet to be determined, approximately 200 starlings suddenly perished in midair and plummeted onto the pavement, parked cars, and stunned onlookers. A mysterious witness to the nightmare scene, some of which can be seen below, so they've got a Twitter, couple of Twitter photos of these dead birds. Um, sorry, I'm just trying to find my place again. Photos below. Indicated that the birds came out of the trees in the emergency area of the hospital, briefly took to the sky, and then just as quickly fell to the ground. An official with the city told a local media outlet that the birds have been collected and we are now waiting to find out what happened, but cautioned that we are told it won't be easy. The mass death follows a similar case that took place in Spain back in February, as well as a headline-making incident in Wales from 2019, wherein hundreds of starlings also died under the same mysterious circumstances. In that instance, it was ultimately determined that the creatures perished while attempting a tricky mid-air evasive maneuver which may wind up being the explanation for the incident outside of the hospital in Feral. And like I say, there's a couple photos there. If you want to see it, just follow the link in the show notes. But um, yeah, the, this does happen more often than you would think, folks. Right. So maybe they got their, uh, maybe they got their tax bill. Oh, that's why they all dropped dead. Okay, so the next one here is from Coast to Coast. And I saw this one a while back, and I just haven't got a chance to get to it. So I am learning with you as I read this. This one says, Ancient Mammoth Tusk Found on the Ocean Floor Off the California Coast. And again, we'll go through and read it, and then I'll give you my thoughts. But I find this very interesting on several levels. And they've just got a news... We've got a news... Um, bit from LA. I'm just listening into it really quickly. 10,000 feet deep. So it wasn't just close to the shore. Wow. Interesting. Right. Okay. A team of marine biologists was understandably amazed when they stumbled upon a ancient mammoth tusk that was sitting on the ocean floor around 180 miles off the coast of California. According to a press release, the strange find was made by a group of scientists from the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute during a deep-sea expedition in 2019. As a remote-operated vehicle examined an area of the ocean floor around 10,000 feet deep, it caught sight of a peculiar object that left the researchers scratching their heads as it seemed to resemble an elephant's tusk. At the time, they were only able to procure a small piece of the oddity, but they subsequently returned to the area this year and managed to extract the entire three-foot-long specimen, which is when the wondrous nature of the find became clear, as it was revealed to be a mammoth tusk that is at least 100,000 years old and possibly even double that age. You start to expect the unexpected when exploring the deep sea, but I'm still stunned that we came across the ancient tusk of a mammoth, mused Mabari uh, senior scientist Stephen Haddock. A good good name for a water scientist. A haddock's a fish, if you didn't know. Beyond the out-of-place location where the specimen was found, experts are particularly impressed by the remarkable condition of the ancient object. And yeah, looking at the video and the photos, it's pretty obvious that it is a tusk, so it is in very good shape. This specimen's deep-sea preservation environment is different from almost everything we have seen elsewhere, marveled paleontologist Daniel Fisher, who explained that the depth at, w depth at which the tusk sat allowed for it to be relatively unscathed by the ravages of time. As such, researchers studied the object, studying the object have been able to extract DNA from the discovery and are working towards painting a proverbial picture of the creature that once sported the tusk. Additionally, by studying the ocean currents, scientists hope to learn from where on land the mammoth originated and how it remains ultimately wound up in the very weird deep-sea resting spot. So, to me, there are a few obvious ways. One is that it fell off a ship. 
who was being transported by ship maybe a few hundred years ago, back when things were tied down on the decks, especially, of wooden sailing ships. I could have seen it falling off there, especially if you had ships traveling from Alaska down to California, because obviously mammoths are in Alaska and uh, Siberia. So that's one way it could have happened. Another way, as they say, it could have been washed out there by the tides or sea currents. The other really astounding thing is would be that if it died at 10,000 feet below sea level. And what I mean by that is that the water level was actually that shallow at one point. Now, I don't think it was. That's a big ask. Uh, I guess maybe if you wanted to go literally with the biblical flood, maybe. But even then, I'd say that's pretty pretty far-fetched. But an interesting one nonetheless. And I like these little stories that Coast often has of things like this because it's just fascinating. It just goes again to show that there's always something new to be discovered. Okay, so the next one is some UFO footage here. And I'm going to throw it on while I read to you. And this one says, Odd UFO filmed by airline passenger. And this one has some commentary. So it was an Air India flight. It flew from New Delhi to Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, the plane. So they're saying that a passenger spotted it. And... Okay. Pause that now, but yeah, that's good. There was a bit of a uh, of a background on the flight itself, because I always wonder where these occur. A curious piece of footage captured by a puzzled airline passenger en route to Riyadh appeared to have shown a disc-shaped UFO hovering in the sky. The strange scene was reportedly filmed last month by Niraj Singh as he was in the middle of a flight from India to Saudi Arabia. While looking out the window, he spotted something strange alongside the plane and proceeded to film the oddity with his cell phone. In the admittedly difficult-to-discern video, a peculiar white dot can be seen off in the distance. An enhanced version of the, of the video, which can be seen above, seems to suggest that the anomaly is a silver, dish-shaped object. As for what the weird aerial interloper might have been, observers have put forward a variety of theories, including the possibility that it was some kind of alien craft. Skeptical viewers, of course, have offered more prosaic explanations for the unidentified flying object, including an errant balloon, yeah, always a balloon, traveling at, what, 700 miles an hour or whatever those planes do, or another plane that merely looks out of the ordinary due to how far away it is. Similarly, another theory which has merits is that the UFO is merely moisture on the window of the airliner. With that in mind, what's your best guess? I don't think it's moisture on the window of the airliner. Hold on, I'm just going to finish this off really quickly, the video. The way I would describe it is it looks like, when you zoom in on pixels, it looks like it's a little bit bigger than one pixel. But it almost looks like it's like three quarters white and one quarter black. And they're saying they zoomed in on it and it was silver. And I guess looking at it like that, it does look a bit more like the entire thing is one color. But it's hard to tell because obviously this would have been camera phone footage, I'm sure. But nonetheless, interesting. Now, I definitely do not think that that's moisture on the window. Uh, it's traveling behind the plane wing, so I don't see how it could be moisture on the window. And now it's gone. So yeah, interesting little one. So go and check that out if you want to see the video footage for that. Again, link in the show notes. I got the next one here for you. Is also from Coast, and this one says, Massive Mystery Blast Leaves Behind Huge Crater on New York Island. There's a video here as well. Lots of video ones this time. Long Island. Okay. It's curious what island it was on. <laughs> Fox Island, okay, which is off of Long Island which is an uninhabited island, it says. So it says, Authorities in New York are investigating a curious case wherein a massive blast created a huge crater on the beach of an uninhabited island. The odd mystery reportedly began on Sunday morning 
when people living in the southern part of Long Island heard and felt an enormous blast. As it often happens with such events, concerned residents flooded the local police station with calls, and social media lit up with people wondering what had just happened. However, in this instance, questions surrounding where the inexplicable boom could have come from were quickly answered as cops managed to determine its origin. Investigators traced the blast back to Fox Island, a small nearby spot that is accessible only by boat, where they found a huge and rather worrisome crater measuring four feet wide and two feet deep. That's a big crater. Beyond the huge hole, however, they saw no signs of any explosive device having been detonated. Be that as it may, authorities believe that the blast was detonated by some individual or group of people and have set their sights on a boat photographed in the general area at the time of the incident. While one might merely chalk the explosion up to bored teenagers out causing trouble, authorities say that the location of the blast would indicate a more troubling scenario. Obviously, our department is concerned as to why someone would detonate a device on an uninhabited island, Stuart Cameron of the Suffolk County Police Department said at a press conference on Monday, noting that the incident could have been a test of homemade explosive devices intended for future use and perhaps some kind of terror attack, which is a good point. To that end, the FBI has now been enlisted to help the investigation, and authorities are calling on the public for any tips that may help solve the case. Could it be bored teens? Yeah, but that's a pretty big crater. I have um, I may or may not have played with a few explosives in my time when I was younger, and that is a sizable crater. I mean, that I'd have to guess you're talking at least a stick of dynamite, maybe more, to make a crater that big, depending on what it was made in, but I'd say it was in kind of like the beach sand. But yeah, uh, nonetheless, um, mystery crater near you. Interesting one. Right, so the next one here is from Mysterious Universe. And this is another one where, as I say, I try and cover a lot of things that happened in our past. And this one says, Oldest known Denisovan bones found in a Siberian cave. And this is from Jocelyn LeBlanc, and I've covered some of her stories before. And this is from December the 1st. The oldest remains belonging to Denisovans have been discovered in Siberia's Denisova cave. The bones that belong to the extinct relative of modern humans date back around 200,000 years. This is very significant as prior to this discovery, there were only six bones belonging to Denisovans that had ever been found. Five of them were discovered in a Denisova cave, while the other was unearthed at a Chinese holy site. The three latest bones that were discovered in Denisova cave have been confirmed at being 200,000 years old, which are more ancient than the previous oldest remains that were dated between 122 and 194,000 years old. It was a long process in identifying the remains as researchers looked through 3,791 bones that were discovered in the cave and found that one of them belonged to a Neanderthal, while three were from a Denisovan, which was based on DNA proteins that, were, that have previously been identified as belonging to the now extinct human relative. Furthermore, two of the bones were so similar that they were either from the same individual or perhaps two relatives. In an interview with Live Science, Katrina Duca, who is an archaeological student at the University of Vienna in Austria, sorry, scientist, not student, stated, We are extremely excited to identify three new Denisovan bones amongst the oldest layer of Denisova cave, adding, We specifically targeted these layers where no other human fossils were found before, and our strategy worked. In addition to the bones, several stone artifacts and animal remains were found. The majority of the items were scraping tools that would have been used on animal skins. This is the first time we can be sure that Denisovans were makers of the archaeological remains we found associated with their bone fragments, Duca explained. And the fact that the river was located near the entrance of the cave provided experts with even more clues regarding their lives. The site's strategic point in front of a water source and the entrance of a valley would have served as a great spot for hunting. Based on the animal remains found in the cave, it is believed that Denisovans ate deer, bison, horses, gazelles, and woolly rhinoceroses. Pictures of one of the Denisovan bones and of the cave where it was found can be viewed here. And there's a link. just going to go and check that out really quick. I just want to see. Oh, boy, they are really tiny bones. I'm actually glad I went and had a look because they're holding up a little magnifying glass. And it just looks to be like a small stone size. Um, yeah, so not very big at all. But again, it just goes to show 
what 200,000 years will do to something. And this cave is like your classical cave going into the side of a mountain. Quite an interesting little one. So, yeah, uh, again, like I say, we are constantly rewriting our history. And there are people like me that would argue history is much different than how it has been presented to us. But if nothing else, we keep pushing back that clock of humanity and humanity's relatives further and further as far as when we existed, when our ancestors lived, what they were doing. They weren't all just hanging out in caves, um, killing mammoths for, you know, 50,000 years or whatever it was. Right, so the last one here is a good one. I thought something different, which is a haunted statue head mysteriously re reappears after being stolen 20 years ago. And this one is also from Coast to Coast. And it says, the stolen head of a statue situated in a Canadian graveyard and said by some to be haunted has been mysteriously returned after it was taken by miscreants 20 years ago. According to a local media report, the marble monument was placed in Grays Island Cemetery in the community of Hillsborough during the 1930s as a memorial for a young woman named Jenny Steves, who had died of tuberculosis in 1900. For the next several decades, the sizable statue stood undisturbed at the site until around 1990, when modern-day members of the family noticed that people had begun defacing the piece. And in an unfortunate turn of events, some ne'er-do-wells eventually managed to actually behead the monument. As is often the case, the presence of a headless statue in the cemetery eventually gave rise to all manner of somewhat elaborate urban legends surrounding its condition. Specifically, it was said by some that the monument had been haunted and that it would watch over visitors to the graveyard, which led to the head unceremoniously being removed. Others asserted that it once sported red rubies for eyes, and that presumably the piece was decapitated by an individual looking to pilfer the precious gems. In a testament of how far and wide a story can spread, the headless statue has appeared on various most haunted lists, and even serves as the basis for a handful of apocryphal tales regarding a ghost said to lurk on Gray's Island. However, members of the Steves family insist that these accounts are merely the result of imaginative people spotting the headless piece in the graveyard, speculating on how it came to be, and then these ideas taking on a life of their own. Fortunately, the story of the haunted statue has now come to an unexpected resolution as the missing piece of the monument mysteriously reappeared beside its body earlier this month. When it, While it is uncertain where the head had been the last two decades, much less who took it in the first place, the Steves family are understandably happy to have recovered it and hope to restore the statue to its complete form sometime next year. So yeah, folks, uh, interesting little one, haunted statue one to top off your news of the damned for this episode. And I hope that you did enjoy it. I don't have my my notes right here with my quote from J. Allen Hynek, so we're not going to read that one, folks. but. I do hope that you have a great week, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care.